Hello, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and beauty director, Alexandra Engler. Today, we are talking about body care from exfoliation tips to dealing with creepy skin to hair removal. We are so, so close to summer months. And in New York, where I am based, the temperatures are finally, finally starting to heat up. It was a seriously long winter, so I can't wait to finally be able to go outside without seven layers on. While we're not quite at shorts weather, we're also not that far away from it either. So that means I probably need to start shaving more frequently. Now, I choose to shave, but I want to say that body hair removal is very personal, so however you approach it is up to you. You will not find any judgments here. And if you choose to do so at any part of your body, we are going to be going over tips, mistakes, and advice from shaving mistakes to laser hair removal, including those at-home devices, and how to prevent ingrowns. But we are also talking about body care broadly, like exfoliation, and why you need to treat the skin on your body a little bit different than you might on the face. To do so, I am talking with board-certified dermatologist Tiffany Clay. She is based in Atlanta, and her Instagram feed is full of great skincare tips for skin of color, skin cancer prevention, and more. Without further ado, Dr. Clay, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I am so excited to have this conversation about body care and all of the various concerns that we might have around body care and hair removal and taking care of the skin on our bodies. You know, obviously the skin on our bodies accounts for most of the organ itself. So, you know, I know this is a very important conversation to be had, and I am sure a lot of our listeners have a lot of the questions that I'll be asking you. But before we get into that, I would just love if our audience could get to know you just a little bit better. So tell us about yourself. How did you become interested in skin health? Well, as a board-certified dermatologist, skin health is my primary concern. And, you know, kind of the other things are are fun. Like I love doing cosmetics, but skin health is of utmost importance to me. And my, I guess my background or the reason that I became interested in dermatology as a whole was because of my upbringing. I had, you know, a few concerns that were looking back very minor, but seemed major, of course, you know, when you're going through it. For example, very mild acne when I was in, in middle school and high school and, you know, not having the best access to a dermatologist at that point. But then going on to see a dermatologist and realizing how much of a difference it made to be under someone's care for for, for taking care of, of my skin better. So that I, I dealt with eczema and other small issues. And so those introduced me to the field. And I always knew that I wanted to be a physician. I just didn't know what specialty. So that introduction into dermatology kind of piqued my interest in the specialty. So it sounds like you have been dabbling in the skincare industry since an early age. Absolutely. Very early. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Looking back, were there any moments or memories that stand out to you as as fundamental part of this this journey and, you know, how you view skin health? Is there anything that comes to mind? So the probably my first visit to the dermatologist, I was I was in elementary school. I don't remember how old I was, but I was really young. And I remember having 
a fungal infection, like a ringworm in my scalp. And I lost hair in that area. Thankfully, it grew back. But I remember not specifically anything bad in regards to that visit to the doctor. But I remember coming out and I, you know, you go to the dermatologist and get cute little samples of like mini soaps and things and, and mini cleansers. And I just remember feeling like, wow, that was a very pleasant experience at the doctor for once as a child. Uh -huh. you, know, you, you think about going to the doctor and getting a shot. So I remember having that pleasant experience after leaving. That was my first visit to a dermatologist. So that was kind of my foundation. And, you know, you mentioned you, you knew you wanted to become a physician. So at what point on your journey to become a doctor did you decide, okay, you know, I am going to be a dermatologist specifically? Was that something that you started your journey off knowing or was it something that came with time? So it came with time. I, I initially thought I wanted to be an OBGYN. I realized I don't like hospitals very much. <laughs> and I don't like being awakened at any time of the hour. So that was sure. obviously not going to be a good fit. But it was probably closer to midway towards the end of college that I decided dermatology seemed like it would be a, a good fit for me. And that, that became my, my primary focus. What is your beauty philosophy? Keep it simple. I think I love that you can have healthy, clear, beautiful skin by not using a ton of products. Sometimes more products actually might complicate things or or cause more side effects. And, and with so many people and so many of my patients now having access to skincare and being able to, to kind of come up with their own regimen, I find that sometimes that more, that less is more. So more is, yeah. is not more in that case. Yeah. Do you find that this is a bigger problem nowadays just because of, you know, the fact that I think, you know, social media has made skincare routines almost like, I don't know, it's like having like an it bag or something. It's like everybody wants to use the cool cleanser or the cool serum. You know, do you find that that has contributed to that? Oh, absolutely. That and then the pandemic, I think, has pushed people more into social media and, and kind of having more awareness of taking better care of their skin because you're staring at your face on the screen all day. Sure. And so, you know, I've, I've definitely encountered that more often where people are using like five serums in the morning and then five at night and they really don't even know what the serums are doing. They just know that so-and-so said you should use it. So, so they're, they're using it on their skin. And what problems do you do you encounter with people who kind of have adopted this multi-step routine? Do you notice that their skin has reactions to it? So some have reactions, some have no reaction, meaning they don't get any benefit. And sure. some may actually have either irritation where they might be too dry if they're using too many acids or too many exfoliants that could lead to a rash or burning on the skin. And in some cases, if you use several different things and you start them all at once, if you're allergic to something, it's really hard to determine what's the culprit. So that, that's kind of been the, the biggest issue, I would say, is, is an allergy where we, we are having just the toughest time figuring out what it is. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I run into this problem a lot when even I just talk to people uh, about their skincare routines. Because they're using so much, they don't know how to pinpoint 
the topical that's working versus the topical that is causing that reaction <laughs> versus the topical that, you know, is doing nothing. You know, it's like we have to be a little bit smarter about how we introduce these products, I think. Absolutely. I tell people at least one a week if you're introducing several new things, because if you have a reaction or if even if your skin just kind of just doesn't mess well with it, probably by the end of that week, you'll, you'll know if you're either allergic to it or if it causes too much irritation. And then you can kind of go on to the next thing the next the week after. Okay. That's actually a good time frame, a week. I always struggle with telling people how long they should they should give something. So at least at least that week to before you introduce anything else. I like that. So let's talk about body care. Obviously, that is the subject of the conversation today. And, you know, I just kind of want to lay the groundwork about the skin on the body specifically. What are the differences between the skin on the body versus the skin on the face? Are there noticeable differences or notable differences, I should say? I think so. And most people might notice this. The face is more oily. So we have more, a higher concentration of oil glands on the face, specifically in the T-zone, your forehead, your nose, and the body, especially. I think the place that's the most different from the face is probably the neck. We always think that it's a continuation of the face as far as beauty standards go. But the sure. skin of the neck is not as oil, oily or oil producing. And so you have to be careful when using your facial exfoliants and, and acids on your neck because sometimes they're a little too dry. And, and then the body is, is also a lot more dry. We don't have as high a concentration of oil glands on the body. And then we tend to have more hair follicles on our bodies uh, as well, unless you're a very, a man with a, a nice beard then, <laughs> then maybe not, but. <laughs> For most of us women, you know, most of our hair is on our body. Is there differences in like how thick the dermis is? Anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So the skin on the the trunk, specifically the back, we're going to see really, really a, a lot thicker dermis there. So the skin tends to be a little bit tougher, so to speak, on the back. Interesting. And how does the skin on on the face versus the body, like how does it age differently? Do you notice differences in in the two areas when you see patients? Absolutely. So I can tell definitely who's been in the sun, you know, year after year and who hasn't been. So on the face, you'll <sighs> see in both areas, you'll see wrinkles. However, on the face, you can see more fine lines and coarser wrinkles that'll form, especially around the eyes and forehead and around the, the lips as well. And you'll see many more freckles on those areas as well, where the sun kind of like hits the, the cheekbone and the nose a lot more, a lot more often. On the body, the skin can take on a little bit more of a leathery, leather-like texture. You'll have some freckles and, and many more brown spots, possibly more moles too. But the skin won't have as many fine lines. It'll almost have like a thick leathery texture to it. And on the face, around the cheekbones and around the eyes, if someone has severe sun damage, they can actually get a, a large cluster of blackheads on those areas or open comedones on those areas as well. And that happens less often on the body. So that's fascinating. There's a connection between sun damage and blackheads? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
tell me more. I mean, this is more of a reason for me to tell people to wear sunscreen. So absolutely, sunscreen <laughs> and retinoids. I don't know that we know what causes it specifically, but the the condition is called Favre Favre Rakestow syndrome, okay. and that's just because someone named it after themselves. But uh-huh. yeah, it causes a, a clustering of that. So we'll actually have. I actually, in my practice, have a large number of aging patients who had a lot of sun damage and they come in to see the esthetician regularly for extraction. So speaking of pores and sun damage, not only can it trigger more blackheads as Clay notes, but it can contribute to something called orange peel skin. This is not an official term, but it is sometimes used to describe skin that has enlarged pores similar to citrus fruits. I'll explain how this is all connected. So collagen, actually plays a role in pore size, as it can help keep the sides of the pore tout and strong. But as collagen declines, pores may sag and appear dimpled, since the skin isn't able to remain as supple and firm. And one of the largest contributing factors for collagen decline is sun damage. So if you want to avoid enlarged pores now and later in life, you need to pay attention to sun exposure. I mean, that's a fascinating connection that I, you know, normally when you think of sun damage and sun exposure, you, your mind really just goes to, you know, wrinkles later in life. But I mean, it's fascinating that there's even that connection in between pore size and, and blackheads. So I want to ask, you know, you mentioned that the skin on the neck is, is different than the face and we tend to treat it the same, but you know, are there other areas of the body that people should be paying special attention to as well? You know, the neck is a little bit more obvious just because it's, it is so visible like the face. But, you know, are there other parts of the body that we're not as good at treating and, and perhaps need to be better at? I think so, yeah. So with women, I think with women more because we like to wear a V-neck or or a skirt that's a little bit showing a little cleavage, but we often neglect our decollete. So that's an area mm. that we tend to get more freckles. Women can tend to get more fine lines. And just with us sleeping, if, if you tend to be a side sleeper with your breath being pressed together, that can actually cause some deeper wrinkles in the, the skin between the breasts too. So I'll have patients that'll come in and they say, what can we do about these really deep lines right in between my breasts? So that's an area to to consider. For men, I say ears in the back of the neck. I tend to see a lot of sun damage there on the ears and back of the neck where, you know, some will have really, really deep lines. And that those are pretty common areas for skin cancers to appear. So, you know, you have your baseball cap on, but your ears and your neck are still sticking out. So you're not fully sun protected. And then the hands, I think hands are given kind of like an afterthought. So it's like, oh, I put yeah. my sunscreen on everywhere, but your hands get a great deal of exposure if you're driving around and just running errands. Your hands get a lot of exposure in the car all day. Sure. Yeah. You know, the hands one is so important, I think. And especially because we're all washing our hands and using hand sanitizer so much, which is a good thing. But, you know, those can yeah. be drying. And that can lead to, to rashes, and then the skin looks more wrinkled, the more dry it is, so it just kind of sets off the whole cascade of things. A quick tip here for taking care of your hands is to note that hand sanitizer actually dissolves sunscreen and moisturizers. 
I know many of us are using sanitizer frequently, which is a good thing, but the alcohol that makes it effective at killing germs also dissolves skincare ingredients that might be on the hands, sunscreen and moisturizer included. So be sure to apply a hand cream and SPF regularly throughout the day to help take care of your hands. Totally. As the weather starts to warm up and, you know, we start showing off a little bit more skin, I know that people get more and more interested in hair removal. You know, this is something that we get asked out a lot about and, you know, specifically how people can, like, what are the best methods for hair removal and, you know, how to make sure that their skin doesn't have ingrown hairs later, all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, let's just start with the basics. What are your favorite methods of hair removal should someone decide that they want, you know, to to remove their body hair? Are there different ones that work better for different areas? You know, what are your thoughts on hair removal? I think laser hair removal is the best. I think it's the gold standard. Yeah. However, it does not work if you have white or gray hair. So, for those of us who have gray hair, and if you have gray body hair, that's something to keep in mind that laser hair removal would not work for that because the laser actually targets the the pigment or the color that's in the hair, and that's how it works. But that, that has to be my favorite. And laser hair removal, there is not a body site that I can think of that you can't laser, so it's safe sure. everywhere. And there are different types of lasers that are safe for different types of skin. So if someone has Darker skin, I would recommend that they do an, an long pulsed anti-gag laser, for, but for someone who has lighter skin, then they have a larger array of lasers that are going to be better for their skin type. Okay. You know, I have a few follow-up questions about laser hair removal just because I'm personally interested in it, and I I actually get a lot of questions about it. So how many sessions does the average person need to come in if they are Oh, let's just use the legs as an example. Because I know you have to come in for multiple sessions, right? Correct. Each treatment targets the root of the hair. And so typically the treatments are spaced an average of about a month apart. So about four weeks, you would go in and do your treatment. And it does depend per body site. So areas that are a little bit more hormonally driven, like a woman who might have some chin hair, you know, she's going to need maybe upwards of eight to 10 sessions, whereas some places like your underarms, bikini, legs, a little less hormonally uh, driven, those areas could be an average of six treatments might be needed. And it's important to keep in mind that for many, laser hair removal is laser hair. I like to call it laser hair reduction because it may not be permanent for you. So many of us who've gotten it will have to do a touch-up treatment here or there once or twice a year, you may have to go back just to make sure that those those follicles are being um, treated. How painful do people report it being? Because I hear mixed mixed feedback. Yeah. Some, <sighs> some lasers can be uh, very uncomfortable and yeah. some are, are painless. Some you can tolerate very well. So the, I've personally had laser hair removal um, in the past. I probably should go finish my series at some point. But I had one laser that was completely painless. I actually did that laser on myself. 
Mm-hmm. And then I had another laser that was the same wavelength, but it was a different laser company. And that one was uncomfortable. I did it without having my skin topically numbed. But I, I think if I went back and I needed to finish it, I would have to do a little topical anesthetic or topical lidocaine before. Sure. And then is there any like aftercare with lasering that people need to know? Just to use gentle cleansers on the area. I would, if it's on the face or in any place that you might use any actives or any acids or retinols, I would probably skip that for a few days just to decrease the risk of irritation. If it's in a place where you would have sun exposure, definitely wear sunscreen to decrease the risk of hyperpigmentation or getting a dark spot on the skin after the treatment. And if you did have any irritation or a little itching afterwards, a little topical cortisone cream could be done. Okay. I keep on seeing these at-home laser hair removal devices. What's the deal with these? Have you seen these? I have, yes. And what, I mean, can we trust them? I haven't really looked into them too much, so I'm personally curious. Are these legit? Should we be cautious of them? Any red flags to look out for? Red flags, there are a few. So, These devices are not delivering as much energy as a professional treatment would. And because they are emitting lower levels of energy, some of them will actually stimulate hair growth, where you may see a little bit more peach fuzz appearing in the area. So that's a major red flag because that's the complete opposite of what we're trying to do. And for some... The wavelength may not be safe for a skin type. So I always say if you're using an at-home device, always, you know, test a small hidden area first, give it a few weeks. And then if you don't have any issues, then you can probably go ahead and treat a larger area. Okay. So it's perhaps just like most things, it's tool and patient dependent on if you can trust these. Absolutely. Okay, so what's better, waxing or shaving? It really depends. Waxing yeah. is convenient if you you just, you know, it's, it's the day of, you need your legs to not have hair on them, and you have your razor and your shaving cream at home, go for it. However, waxing, on the other hand, if you wanted to wax, you know, you kind of have to plan for that. You have to to think ahead, you have to say, okay, did I use my retinol in the area that I'm going to have to get waxed? Did I, did I need to, do I need to stop any actives before I do it? And so with both of those methods, the, the hair is going to grow back. It just grows back in a in kind of a different shape. So it may be a little bit more tapered or thinner with the waxing, with shaving. It would kind of be a blunt tip on the area where the hair grew back out. Shaving does not make the hair grow back for people. So I, I honestly, I do not have a preference. I think it's totally up to that person and what's more convenient for them. With waxing, you do get a little bit more exfoliation though. So that, that wax also pulls off that dead stratum corneum or that dead surface layer of skin. So that decreases, probably decreases very, very minutely the risk of, of an ingrown or at least some follicular plugs. I want to ask about shaving in particular, just because that tends to be the method of hair removal that the average person does most often, I'd probably say. And we also know that improper shaving can lead to things like razor burns or increased chances of ingrown hairs, etc. 
So I'm curious, what are some of the biggest shaving mistakes that people tend to do? Like, are there any um, mistakes that increases the chance of all these skin irritations? Oh, absolutely. And they're so common. I think we just, there's there's no real etiquette or no one really says, hey, here's how you're supposed to shave. So number one, I would say is not using a a body wash or a shave cream, something that would allow a smoother shave. So if you shave dry skin, you can actually cause tiny tears and openings in the skin. And that could then lead to infection, a little bit of bacteria that on the skin can go in and you can get little pustules or infections on those areas. That's Probably the biggest one I see is that we're not using a moisturizer or moisturizing product to shave with. Mm. The other is shaving a little too often. I know that we like to to be pretty hair-free or I like to be hair-free personally, but certain areas probably don't need to get shaved every single day. That can also kind of over-exfoliate the skin again, might lead to issues of irritation and dryness of the skin again and over exfoliation so kind of some of the problems that might happen with a dry shave can also happen with over shaving and those two are probably the most common I would say another one is you know you have that razor you kind of just leave it in the shower and you know it may may not be sharp enough and so we, Mm. we probably should be replacing our blades more often especially if you shave more often and then you want to replace it so it's not dull when you're using it. I often get a question about if you should be exfoliating on the same days that you are shaving. And is there, I mean, I guess, should you? Because shaving is, there's a level of exfoliation with it inherently. So do you need more exfoliation on top of it? I would actually not do that. I would say leading up to it if you wanted to exfoliate just to any, you know, hairs that might be stuck under a little skin plug, that those will be released and they'll be on the surface. I don't think that I would do it the day of, maybe a few days later. But the day of, you could definitely cause a lot more irritation on the skin. And yeah, shaving is, is, you know, very much like dermaplane. You're kind of peeling off a little bit of dead skin anyway. So question, why are some people more prone to ingrown hairs than others? Because I am somebody who is prone to ingrown hairs, and I'm always curious about this. For many people, it depends on how the hair grows. So for some, especially those who might have more curly hair, the hair may, as it's trying to find its way back to the surface after it's been shaved, It may just slightly curve or it might completely curl. And so it's not able to find its way back to that follicular opening. And it kind of just curls back under and gets stuck. That's the most common reason that people would get ingrown. Other reasons, sometimes the hair is cut so short or so thin, especially if you have one of those multi-blade razors, they kind of get a really nice close shave. And so the hair follicle might be very, very far below the opening or the pore of a follicle. And for that same reason, it can't quite find its way out to the surface in a straight path. And other than that, um, also probably a little less common, but if if someone hasn't exfoliated or if they're just 
they just have a lot of hyperkeratosis or thicker skin or skin plug, then that can also cause ingrown hairs because there's occlusion in the opening where the hairs need to come out. So for those of us who fall under those camps, how can you help prevent ingrown hairs? Because I know that prevention is much easier than treating. So how can help me help me keep away from these is basically my question. <laughs> so if you do tend to have them more often, I suggest, of course, doing a shave more towards the end of your shower. So your skin's softer, you've probably cleansed and gotten a little bit of exfoliation going already. And shaving mm. with the grain. So if you shave against the grain, for example, on your leg, if you typically shave from ankle to knee in the, that direction, that might make the hair get cut a little bit shorter. But if you shave from to ankle kind of in a downward manner, which is very, very hard to remember because I try it all the time and I can't. That is that's going to so it's very hard to practice what I preach. It's hard to I I, um, I, to I have that. the same problem. I get I give good advice and apparently I can't follow it myself. <laughs> but if you it's do that, you'll you'll get a little less short of a, a little less close of a shade and the hairs will be as short so they'll be able to find their way to and then thereafter just a little bit of exfoliation. So I know we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little later, but exfoliating can help as well to just remove any skin plugs and, and allow that that opening of the follicle to be patent so that the, the hair can come through. So if you do have some ingrowns, how do you treat them? Because you shouldn't pick at them, right? That's correct. You want to okay. try not to pick at them. It's if it's really large and you feel like it's infected, it's painful, it maybe has lots of redness or pus, I would say to try to get in and see a dermatologist if possible because sometimes it may need to be drained or we can look really closely and, and pull the hair out if it's stuck under there. But if it's not really visible on the surface and you're, you're sure you can't just pop it out, I would not go digging for it because many times there's really nothing there. And if you have a few that are on the skin and they're starting to get a little itchy or irritated, I love to recommend just a little bit of hydrocortisone cream. So the 1% hydrocortisone cream that you can get over the counter, you can apply that to those areas twice daily. You and you're taking a warm shower, you can do a light exfoliation on the skin as well. And I would do probably a scrub type of exfoliant if you had a lot of ingrowns, but not scrub the skin too too harsh or abrasively. So do it gently. Okay. Are there any topical ingredients that you can use to, to help? Yes. So if you are more prone to them, I would suggest just regularly to, to do an exfoliating product, probably something that has little salicylic acid would be good. If you wanted something that would help with inflammation, a product that has tea tree oil or something that di like a dilute tea tree oil, if it's just a plain essential oil, you want to dilute it and you can use that on the skin as well. Okay. So obviously we've talked a lot about body exfoliation throughout this episode as it's, you know, it's, it's important for the health of your skin. But, you know, I also know that it is something that people perhaps don't always practice body exfoliation correctly. So why don't I just start off by asking, what are some common body exfoliation mistakes that you see people do? Over exfoliating. Yeah. That's the, the number one thing. 
and I don't mean exfoliating every day. That's definitely a no-no for the skin. I don't think your skin can tolerate too much exfoliating, too, too much exfoliation. But exfoliating with a body polish or a body scrub and maybe just pressing too firmly, that's what I mean by over exfoliating. It's just using too much pressure. It feels good and you feel like you might be getting a really good layer of skin off, but at the in the end, you could increase tiny little tears or abrasions on the skin, which could cause infection. You could exfoliate too much and, and make your skin too dry, which could lead to rashes, itching, eczema. So I think the, that's probably the most common thing. So how can people learn to exfoliate better? You know, are you someone who is a fan of physical exfoliation versus chemical exfoliation? You know, any preferences there? I, I like both, actually. So Okay. So I like chemical and physical exfoliants for, for body exfoliation. I love a body polish. It feels good. And, and many of the ones that I like are a little bit moisturizing. However, there is also a chemical one that I love that's meant for the body. It's actually specifically meant for keratosis pilaris. And it oh, has glycolic sure. acid in it. So that one's by Glytone. It's their exfoliating body wash. And then I really like two body exfoliants. I like one that's by Key Soul Care. It's their body polish, which smells amazing, by the way. And <laughs> Always a bonus. I know. <laughs> and it, it has a nice kind of, I, I like to call it androgynous, fit, I guess, because I like it and my okay. husband likes it too. So everyone can use okay, it. Okay, so it's it's... Good for the whole family. <laughs> Absolutely. If you want, if you're willing to share. And then Foot <laughs> Balm actually has a really nice one. It's the Bermuda Body Scrub. And okay. this one kind of smells, it smells like, like vacation almost. It just, oh, I it's just, it's really that. light. It has lemon oil in it, which is a natural exfoliant. And then it, it's a sugar scrub. So you're actually getting chemical and a physical exfoliant in that one. I love a good body scrub and a good body exfoliator. So I will be checking those out as, you know, we get closer to summer. I definitely need to restock on some of my exfoliation items. As you know, I start showing a little bit more skin after this long winter. So thank you for that. But the, you know, the next portion of this interview is it's all about what you do for, you know, yourself. I I would love to ask you, what is your daily skincare routine? Hmm. For my body or for my face or both? Oh, well, I would love both. Why don't we start with body? And then I I would I'd just love to hear your facial routine as well. All right. So my body care, I always use a, I don't use any soap, any technical soap, so nothing that would strip my skin because my skin does tend to be dry. So I alternate between several body washes. My flavor of the month has been the Bush Balm Nourished Body Wash. I like it. It's fragrance-free. It's pH balanced. And, you know, kind of like when you get out of the shower and you rinse off and your skin still feels kind of like slick or slippery. It just feels really moisturized like that when I get out of the shower. So I love that. And and then if I need to exfoliate, I do use one of the, the two that I mentioned, the Key Soul Care or the Bermuda Scrub, the Body Scrub by Bush Balm. So those are my, my physical exfoliants that I use in the shower. And 
I always, always, as soon as I get out of the shower, I pat dry. And the first thing I do is moisturize my body. So I have been using Cetaphil cream for the most part this this winter and this fall. I might try and I'll throw a couple of other things into the mix. But for the most part, that's what I use from, you know, from the neck down everywhere. And then if I have certain areas like bikini where I want to just get a little bit of exfoliation and minimize hyperpigmentation, I will do the Bush Bomb Dark Spot Treatment Oil. It's called Bermuda Oil. And so that has a little bit of, of lemon essential oil in it and some tea tree oil too. Well, that all sounds delightful. What do you do for your face? For my face, I always, well, not always, I usually will cleanse twice a day with a hydrating cleanser. And I have way too many to name, so I'm not even going to tell you. I just use whatever's in the bathtub and it's <laughs> shower or whatever's at the, the sink. In the morning, I use Glytone, vitamin C. I always moisturize after I put my vitamin C on it. I have lately been using the Skin Fix Barrier Plus. It's a really, really hydrating moisturizer. And then I put my sunscreen on. My sunscreen at the moment is Olay Regenerate. They have a mineral SPF 30. And I've kind of been trying to do more mineral and less chemical sunscreens on my skin. I started doing that when I was pregnant last year. Sure. And then at nighttime, I quit it again. I apply prescription retinoid called Arasmol. And then I moisturize on top of that. Well, I mean... You have a very edited but smart skincare uh, lineup. I mean, I feel like you're hitting all all the favorites. Vitamin C, retinol. <laughs> I know. I love them. I love them too. Okay. So I also love to ask people what are some of their wellness must-haves because, you know, we we obviously talk a lot about beauty on this podcast, but we also look at beauty through the lens of health. And, you know, I'm a big believer that everything is skincare, you know, from how much sleep you get to, you know, how much water you drink. So, you know, I'm curious, do you have any wellness habits that, you know, you you prioritize? Be And, you know, that can be workouts, that can be foods, that can be mental health. I do. So for me, I have a nine-month-old. So sleep, sleep comes sparsely, but, but I will say that I do prioritize sleep. So, you know, once, once the baby's down, I kind of hurry up and do what I need to do because I need at least seven hours to be a functioning nice person the next day. So <laughs> sleep is a big, big priority for me. And we, just as a household, we always prioritize our workouts and it doesn't have to be, you know, an hour long workout, but I, I at least like to get 20 to 30 minutes in where I'm on the treadmill and I'm just listening to some music or outside for a walk. That really puts me in a good space mentally. And so I kind of, if I don't get to do that for a few days, I, I can feel myself getting a little bit more tits and kind of just not feeling like myself. I I loved hearing all of your tips for body care today. I think that this was so, so helpful and answered so many questions that I often get asked. And I think as, you know, we we start entering into the warmer months, hopefully soon, I think a lot of people are going to find this episode very helpful in their body care journeys. So thank you so, so much for joining me today. 
and taking the time to answer all my questions. Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you liked it, don't forget to rate and review us. And before we sign out, I just want to introduce a new feature that we are introducing to the pod. You can now submit all of your lingering beauty questions. All you have to do is drop in a voicemail and I'll answer it here on the pod. Whether you have a follow-up question about a specific episode or are just curious about an ingredient, routine, or product, we want to hear from you. Head over to sayhi.chat slash clean beauty school to submit your questions. I will put that link in the show notes so you can click on it there. Once we get a few of them, our team will select a few to answer during a special Q&A segment, and you just might be featured on this pod. Thanks again for tuning in and see you next week.